What's up, Freaks? Welcome back to the Freaks Podcast. Today we're doing a movie review. Valerie and I got to see the German premiere of Lords of Chaos. The film, which is based on the book by Michael Moynihan and Diedrich Soderlund, has finally reached the big screen and brought with it all the infamous church burnings, murders, and deaths of members of the early Norwegian black metal scene. The film is directed by former Bathory drummer and music video director Jonas Ackerlund. What do we think of the adaptation? Listen on, dear Freaks, and find out. What's up, Freaks? Welcome back to the Freaks Podcast. Today in the studio, we have one of our own, Miss Valerie Blaze. Hello. Welcome back, Valerie. Always a pleasure to be here. So, Valerie and I got to see a German premiere, maybe, of, I think, yes. of the, the new Lords of Chaos movie, mm-hmm. which some of you already probably know is a Hollywood remake of sorts of the book that's about the true story of yeah, yes. something that happened in Norway mm-hmm. during the 90s, which included church burnings, murder, suicide, typical Hollywood Very stuff. Very happy and jolly stuff. Just on that note, in the beginning of the film, it actually starts with a little quote that says, Based on truth? lies, and what actually happened. So that's what we are going to talk about. We're going to talk about what actually happened in this film. In this film. Not in in the real world, because no one really knows. So I guess it goes without saying, spoiler alert. I mean, I don't think they're actually a spoiler, because we all know he dies at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody. He dies. So... Let's get into some, like, the meat of this. So I'm just going to pull up the Wikipedia page uh, because that's, um, you know, we can trust the internet, right? That's a big authority, right? So, yeah, The Lords of Chaos is has not officially been released yet as of this recording, at least in Germany. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe it premiered at Sundance last year, and um, we just saw it in Munich, Germany as part of the Fantasy Film Festival. The film is directed by Jonas Ackerlund. Uh, and it stars Rory Culkin, Emery Cohen, and Sky Ferreira. Based on the 1998 nonfiction book of the same name by Michael Moynihan and Diedrich Zoderland, which follows a series of crimes that occurred in Oslo, Norway, in the early 1990s, surrounding the black metal bands Mayhem and Burzum. Valerie. Yes. Did you read the book? Years ago. So um, I, I don't think I... I... I could compare the two of them because I it was years and years ago. I, I don't think we should compare the two of them anyway because one is more of a documentary form, which is the book, and the movie is a, it's an entertainment. It's meant to be entertaining. Yes. Yeah. This is not a documentary at all. Right. And I think the book is also controversial because, you know, some of it may be true. The interviews that were given may be true, may not be true. And I think that's the point of that quote at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. So it's it's based on the material of the book with, I think, a few little, um, you know, filmmaking changes to, like, make the shorter version of a story work. But I think it's safe to say 
that a lot of it is based on, yeah, the story that you get if you read this book, minus a bunch of other little side stories. Yeah. So I also read it um, around 2003. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I, I I remember I remember reading it, and I remember being you know a little terrified by like how crazy things got. Um, yes, it's a scary. It was a scary moment. I think. I think um, things got out of hand very quickly, and I think no one. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know what happened. No, I mean, people who were there, I don't think they they talked about it so freely now. Or of it back then. So no one really knows what happened. I was just uh, having a conversation with Agneta Kierkevag, the singer of Matter Mortem, mm-hmm. who's from outside of Oslo, like out in the countryside. Yeah. And I asked her about, like, if she remembers, you know, that time. And and the one thing she said, you know, you know, of course it was in the news and things, and she said it was like a little bit distant to her at the time, uh, except for the fact that it was just kind of in the news and what was going on. But she said that, you know, when, when they started forming their first metal bands, everybody assumed that they were Satanists and that that <laughs> kind of still persists, you yeah. know, in the, in the culture that, although I guess metal is quite popular there, there still hangs in the air this, this stuff that happened a long of time course. ago. I mean, People, I mean, these people, they, they burned down churches and there were two murders and one, one suicide at that time. Other other uh, musicians from that time um, killed themselves a bit later. But it's a bloody period for the city and I think it's normal that it stays. Yeah. So what did you think, of, what were, what's your first impression of the film? I think they played it safe. Really? Yeah. In what way? In a way that um, they, because the movie is from Aranima's perspective, who is mm-hmm. the, the the one who who died. So um, the first part of the movie is about mostly um, dead and Aranimus and the beginning of mayhem. And now Mayhem got a bit more popular mm-hmm. in the scene and the beginning of black metal. And both of these guys are dead. So we don't know what happened. I mean, there are many scenes where we see the two of them talking and conversations they had or moments they had together, like in the woods and talking about killing themselves. Well, dead talking about killing himself. And we don't know if this really happened because they're both gone. So they played it safe in that way. And then we have the second part of the movie, which is about um, Varg appearing in the scene and everything getting really out of hand and out of control and then um, the murders and stuff and uh, church burnings. But but again, everything is from Aaron perspective and what he thought about it, but we don't know what he really thought about it because once again, he is dead. And the fact that they, um, the story is Eranimus dead telling his story. There is this kind of spiritual element to it, 
which is like supernatural. Have, have you thought about that? I, I, I mean, I, I certainly I, I want to I say something about the the voiceover, but I didn't get into I didn't start thinking about this spiritual afterlife yeah, Christian thing. Is, you know, <laughs> we see no, but it's not. It's just that let's say we see the murder, like his murder, when Varg um, kills him, and then we see his body laying there on the ground, and we can hear like, "So there I was." Dead, and then he start starts talking about what happened next. But he, I mean, it's like a spiritual element of the movie, and uh, the whole movie is based on death because this is this is everyone dies. Yeah. So I think they played it safe because the person who tells the story is dead even in the movie. It's it's a spirit saying a, t- a story. And since we don't have his side, we don't have like any any journal or diary from from Aeronymus, we have no clue. I think they played very safe. And there are a bunch of rumors from this time and the producers they they kind of mention some of the rumors without saying if it's true or not. I think they played it very safe. The fact that uh, Rory Culkin, who plays Euronymous, mm-hmm. does the voiceover, and because the whole story is kind of like through his eyes, I thought that this was like the biggest liberty that they took with the story because they inferred in, in into the story a, a point of view which we don't have, which doesn't exist. It's It's completely taken from the writer's perspective of what happened yeah. and what Euronymous was thinking, you know, why he did certain things and and the way that he reacted to stuff that was happening, getting out of control. And I also, when I was watching the movie, I was like, was there like a diary or something that he left behind that they got mm-hmm. all of this sort of internal stuff? Because for me, dealing with people who are dead especially in the way that they died, you know, this is a very delicate thing to do, I think, as a filmmaker, when it's such a, when it's a real story about real people and particularly about young people. And he was, what, 19, 20? Yeah. 21, maybe? Early 20s. Yeah, early 20s. And that they told it through, like, his narrative, like, it's a little bit taking liberties with deciding how he perceived what was going on. Um, And I I thought that that was like... um, I questioned that as a filmmaker. I questioned whether or not I would have handled it that way, just mostly out of respect for the person and, and trying to be as 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 unbiased or yeah, as unbiased as possible in telling the story mm-hmm. or like inferring the filmmaker's conclusions on what happened in the story. Of course, you know all the other characters act a certain way because they wrote it that way. But having the voiceover for me was like the biggest choice that they made. Yeah. That's a bold choice. Yeah. But on the other hand, what, um, Aranima says as, as a voiceover, um, I think is based on uh, many interviews that members of the inner circle gave through the years. Is that right? I'm pretty sure it is because I remember I've I read an interview from I think it's uh, Necro Butcher or Hellhammer one of the 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 former um, Mayhem band members. He said, "Oh, you know, Aaronimus used to to carry these pictures of uh, dead 
dead body right. everywhere and to show them to everyone. And I think it, it was his way to cope with his friend's suicide. And there is an, I think there is a um, another interview that Varg gave, and he says, "Oh, you know, Aronimus, he was just provoking. He, he didn't really, he didn't. He, all he wanted was to provoke the spirits and to to pretend that everything was evil and everything was so violent and so so bad, but he never did anything. And 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 that was that was why he carried those photos around was also for, or for this like show thing like to like well I mean and that's something interesting because we don't know why he did that and this is something I really I won't say I appreciate it but I found interesting in the movie is to show um, Aaronimus and Dad's relationship their friendship and because I feel that Aaronimus still today has this reputation or, I don't know, we we all see him as, as a fucked up person. I mean, I'm not saying he was not, but like, oh yeah, he, go, he goes to his house and then he finds his friends dead and the only thing he, he does is to take a picture of it and then he uses picture. I mean, you know, and he, sh- he shows it around and he talks how cool it was that dead killed himself. So I think we all have this picture of this guy was like heartless, no feelings. He just, he was seeing everything in through this evil perspective. And he also put on this, this pretend show that he like gave parts of the skull to the other members of Mayhem. Yeah, that actually happened. And, but in the, but in the film, they kind of revealed that they were actually just like from a chicken or something. Yeah, well... Chicken bone or something. But this is what he... In the movie, this is what he said to Varg. Yeah. I think just to disappoint him. Yeah. But... Uh, You you think he said it to disappoint Varg to... I I think so because we have an interview from... I think that was Nick Robacher who told him we still... I found pieces of dad's skulls under his bed like weeks after his suicide and we did... We did take these pieces and we made we made necklaces out of them okay so this is this is in fact i mean seemingly true if you believe what necro butcher says, i've read so. the interview today and it was from 1998 okay. for, for a magazine and i mean who knows i mean could have I, also been part I wasn't of the whole there. like shtick and the whole like keeping to yeah. the story and keeping things evil in 98 i mean yeah. Yeah, but I mean, regardless of that, I mean, we I think we we can't ever know if that's true. Um, I think the the main point is like how they handled it. One of the things that I think that they did a really good job of in the film was showing how vulnerable these kids were. Yeah. And how and and not that they were like insane, but that they were just insecure, vulnerable. Um, um, Let. Let's say that some of them are actually insane. I would, I would say, I would say that. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and the film points to that, you yeah. know, like, um, and especially like Dead. I mean, they 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 showed him living with depression. Yeah. Which is a real thing, not just like wearing dark clothes and you know being sad all the time. But he seemed to really deal with something that you know nobody had ever figured out, and he was a long way from home without any. Yeah. Parental help or support and in this sort of toxic relationship with the other guys 
um, and with Euronymous, at least in the film, who seems to kind of provoke those feelings and like kind of tell yeah. him it's okay to want to kill himself and things like that. So, yeah, the, um, I've I've been very interested into the dead case mm. because I think he's a very interesting figure. People online who have made who have suggested that dead had this um i took a note it's called the um cultured cultured delusion it's a rare uh case where people believe they're they're dead like they don't believe they're alive they believe they are a walking corpse or that it happens that some people believe they deny their own existence or they deny the existence of some of their body parts and dead when he was 10 was clinic was declared clinically dead because he was beaten up by uh by kids he was bullied a lot and he had the uh ruptured spl- spleen okay uh and internal bleeding went to the hospital and he died and then he he came back to life he would um and there are people who just suggest that he had this kind of Cotter delusion where he, he believed he wasn't alive. Like this, that this like traumatic incident triggered yeah. this in his psyche. Yeah. And then he lived with that for years later. Yeah, because when, when I mean, I, I, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not going to diagnose him. But there are, you know, his obsession with dad, with death and him wanted to, you know, to die in it's very interesting because in the, in his um, suicide note in the movie we we just see that he wrote like two sentences like excuse the blood and but his actual letter was way longer than that he wrote an a, an actual letter and at the end he says um, well everything started seventeen years ago I haven't I haven't done this now I did this seventeen years ago I think that was more than just depression yeah I don't know I, I fascinating. I'm, I, this 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 person fascinates me. I'm fascinated by him. Uh, one little bit about the filmmaking. There were a few teasers for the film. There hasn't been like an official trailer yet. That mm-hmm. usually comes once a distributor picks it up, and then they start marketing it to you know theaters and stuff yeah. and putting it out to the public. But since it's just been in, in the festivals, often there's no online trailer. Mm-hmm. And um, but they did release a couple of scenes at least two of them that I can recall, they had changed them. So they released a few scenes, but they had changed in the movie. And the one was the backstory of Dead when he says he was beaten up so badly that he died or nearly died. Yeah. In the the teaser clips, you actually see him being beaten up and you see his face as a young person. Yeah. And in the film, the voiceover is just running as Rory Culkin as Euronymous is sort of walking into the room to meet him. Yeah. So they don't ever cut away to that. So yeah. it was interesting because the vis- the visuals that they had for that scene were kind of striking. Like the boy that they chose to play the young dead um, had a certain look and, and I thought that was quite powerful, but they, they removed all of that uh, from the film. Hmm. And there was, a, there was another scene not related to that where I think it's when they fire the bassist, or when Euronymous fires him in the film, he gets on his bike and rides away and he's like, you know, you'll regret it or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. And in the teaser clip, he accidentally like runs into a tree branch <laughs> and then off screen it like makes a sound like, Ugh! 
you know, and it's kind of like funny, which really? is something about this movie that they kind of maintain is that it, it's it's sort of dark but funny at the same time and like awkward and stuff. And and they also cut that out because they put in some like sad music when he left and stuff and they like mm. changed the mood. But I thought that was interesting. Um, but for the dead, uh, the dead scene where he is, uh, he is a child, maybe it has to do with the fact that um, dead when he was alive always said it was because of an ice skating accident. And his brother, dad's brother, after after the, the suicide, he, during an interview, he said, no, it is not because of an ice skating accident. It's because he got beaten up by kids. So dad, as far as, I mean, I don't know what he, what he said to other people back then, but um, he, he claimed for a while that that was an ice skating accident. That was not because he was uh, bullied by kids. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe they left it out for his parents or something. Maybe because for I mean, family, yeah. maybe they they just have Rory say it, but they don't show it. Mm. Maybe that was, but I mean, if they were trying to hold back any punches from the family, then I th they wouldn't have handled his suicide the way they did, and that's something that I think I really didn't care for about the film was the way that they handled his suicide. I mean. They showed it in complete detail, and maybe they did it because that was the aesthetic of that scene, and that moment was like so important to that scene, but it felt really exploitative for a young man who had, you know, a clinical depression and killed himself, and people made like fantasy of that some way with mayhem yeah. and the album cover. That that's just going back to my point of like the dignity of these people who of these young men who died. Yeah, the way the filmmakers handled that and showed that I that was also like that kind of crossed a, a line of ethics for me too. Yeah, yeah, it, I, I was very uncomfortable with the way they they showed everything. It's a very gore movie. I wasn't yeah. expecting it yeah. because we we literally see the suicide. And we literally see murders. And we see dad cutting himself on the stage. And we see the knife going through the skin. And I wasn't expecting the movie to be so gore. And Because it's not a horror movie. That's the point. They have all these little clips of um, the other guy watching horror movies and all the like blood and guts and you see it. But but I think this is a, f a funny thing that they they decided to put that in. When anybody's asked me, oh, how was the film? The first thing I say is it's... It's so violent. Yeah, it is. And I don't even know w why they had to make it so violent because it's about real people. I, I don't want to say these kids were victims, but, you know, they become kind of victims in a way to what they do to each other, you know? And, yeah. um And it's a weird choice to, to exploit that. Even the stuff on the stage, okay, he really did that. So showing him cutting and bleeding... But the suicide scene, I mean, this is just really like, ugh. I had to, I had to look away. Yeah, me too. I couldn't watch it. I, I think, I think we, we forget the, I mean, they were kids. Yeah. I, I think we forget that yeah. because some of them are still alive and they're, you know, they're grown men. So we, yeah. we, we see them as adult, but back then, I mean, yeah, they man. were super young. I mean, super young. But you know, maybe the 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 horror, the horror part of the movie is just to reflect how violent it really was. 
they also chose to 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 be very graphic with the sexuality in the movie too. Yes. Um, yeah, I was surprised by that too. <laughs> which you know, at, you know, for the first couple of scenes, it was like, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I get the point. They were you know promiscuous and stuff, but after a while, it felt a little bit like, did we really have to show it again? Like, did it, does this really like? It, it felt a bit like now we're just basically tailoring the film to have enough blood and guts and violence and sex to appeal to teenage teenage boys that like horror films you know that like slasher films you know it it, it felt a little bit like cheap in that way uh to me for the the more sexual scenes we only see it's only varg because the only thing we see really with erinimus is at some point he has a girlfriend it's i mean there's a sex scene with her yeah but it's it's it's, it's much more intimate and yeah it's like tender and you can see you know it's like a couple it's not just just banging around. Yeah. So it's that scene was I think actually different, the one with Eronimus and his girlfriend, because you can see he's an actual human being with feelings and he's attracted to this girl and they have a, a bounce together. But I, I think it also creates a a big um a big difference between Varg was just there burning churches and banging random girls. And Aaron I was having this girlfriend and creating like some emotional connections. I think it creates this um the good versus the bad. Absolutely. And you and you and I think in this point of the film when he does like he finally hooks up with the girl, which they've been like setting up since like the first scene when they're mm-hmm. playing, you know, like that he meets her and that they have this kind of like you know, bitchy relationship in a way. And then she, yeah. at one point she even gets naked in front of him because Varg made, makes her, which is like super degrading. Um, yeah. And and for him too, you know, and you could tell that in that situation he was like completely unhappy with, that it was happening. But but at the point when they kind of get together, I think this is the point of the film where you start to feel sorry for Euronymous. Yeah. Because he's kind of become wrapped up in his own game. Yeah. and. He starts to become an adult in a way in the end. He meets her. They kind of settle down. He cuts his hair. Yeah. He wants to like be done with Varg. He wants to have him sign the contract and give him everything and just kind of, it feels like he wants to leave the scene and be done with it. Yeah. But of course, he doesn't get out alive. No. Um, so I think these scenes, they, they, they create this for for the audience, this like negative feelings towards Varg saying, "Oh, he's just there, and he's he, he, now he is a bad guy." Yeah, absolutely. It, and I mean, you and know, we it, all know he he is, but yeah. But you're it. right. It's like a it's like a trick to like whenever you see him, he just like has like like sex with these groupies who he's the, kind of taking advantage of to some degree. Although I don't really understand what their motivation is or what they see in him, I, I, that's not to me. That's not really explained. But then he always like pushes them out and calls them whore and like all yeah. these names and stuff. So of course it's kind of like yeah, he's the bad guy, and Euronymous is the good guy. You know, yeah. That's kind of where you get and yeah, and 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 it's. I mean, there's a cool, there's a there's a couple of nice you know sort of Shakespearean elements here. Like Euronymous creates Varg if you will, you know, like Varg was a troubled kid already who seemed to have some money and like the ability to like do whatever he wanted to. And 
it was the ideology of Euronymous that he created that kind of sucked Varg in until he was like a true believer, you know, no drinking, no whatever he, yeah. he seems to abstain from meat and everything. And then like, he's only about this like rigid, true black metal lifestyle, I mm-hmm. guess, which was a kind of fabrication of Euronymous to yeah. be cool and to be elite. Yeah. Um, and that he creates the monster that kills him. Yeah. I mean, this is super Shakespearean in a way. <laughs> and I mean, that's the true story, but those were the things that I think the that, that came through really well in the film, especially the 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 boys, particularly with Varg and Euronymous, how vulnerable you saw them. You know, you could yeah. how how well I mean the performances were were terrific. I thought I mean, yes, by, I the, think by the, the actors. by the guys yeah yeah the guy yeah and and girls and this this girl the the lead actress who was like fully American or something. It was so strange to hear these like American accents for Norwegian people. But nevertheless, the, the the fact that they showed them being so vulnerable and not really believing themselves when they said something or trying to look cool for the other person, you felt that a lot in the scenes. Yeah. There was so much subtlety in the performance and in what they said that I thought that this is what I liked about the film. I liked the fact that they explored the reality of the situation by yeah. showing them for what they really were, yeah. showing the mistakes that they made and how they got caught up in it. And how in the end they were just impressionable, young, vulnerable kids who got caught up in the really dangerous, um, toxic club. Yeah, it's kind of pattern and they were all, yeah. You know, my favorite scene is at the very end when we see um, Eranimus crying mm-hmm. over Dead's body. Mm-hmm. Because, as I said, we always have this picture of him being this heartless person who took the pictures of his friend's body and, you know, took advantage of it and kind of in a marketing way. And in the second part of the movie, we see him, like, troubled and confused by his friend's suicide. And that maybe finally... I mean, we don't know because he's dead, but um, probably he was very confused by it. You know, he was beyond the fact that he said that was cool and that did this for the scene and how 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 you know how great this idea was at the end we see him when he found the body at some point he's crying over over you know his and i i think it was a very powerful scene i really like that scene because it it shows that well this this was a human being who just lost a friend and in fact, he's the guy that says early on in the film, I think to Varg, I don't have friends. I don't need them. Yeah. Remember, like he's trying to be tough and he's like, oh, I think Varg says something about friends and he says, why well, I don't, you're not my friend. I don't have friends, you know? And, and it's like, he did have a friend. Yeah. And as the story goes on, he realizes that he lost that friend. And that's yeah. what makes the ending for... Euronymous so tragic is the two lines that uh, he says when he says, you know, why did you do it? You know, you know me, you know, I just talk. And then he says, like, why did you do it? You're you're, you're my friend. And so it's kind of like he comes to this place where friends are something important. And he maybe even thinks of Varg as a friend that's still alive. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like he lost his other friend and Varg is, 
it's like his it's like his enemy but still like his friend because they've gone through so much together and the fact yeah. that his friend kills him he just can't he can't deal with that in the moment like he doesn't understand how his friend could kill him you know he couldn't kill dead remember dead provoked him yeah to kill him with the shotgun in the yeah. woods yeah and he couldn't do it and later he realizes it's because yeah he was his friend he loved yeah. him and when varg kills him he can't deal with the fact that how could he have t- taken that step over the line yeah. and killed his friend he brought himself to do it yeah and therefore varg in the end is the fucking crazy one you know he's the one that well not in the sh- only in the in the movie you know in the real life too in the real life too I don't like Varg. <laughs> I, I've never liked him, and I don't understand people who like glorify him, oh, wow. even if oh. he is a music genius. Let's put it, yeah. he, he is. He, he is not a nice person. Yeah. And um, the movie shows I think, that. Shows that. Yeah. And anyone can just go online and also uh, sees it. Yeah. Because uh, he has a YouTube channel. Yeah, and he and spits his vitriol and hate all over the place. What were you thinking about the music in the movie? Yeah, so that was like one of the first things I thought of when the credits rolled was like, and I think it's because I recently saw the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. Total, mm-hmm. Totally different movie. <laughs> um, but excellent. Very, very good. My favorite excellent. movie of last year. And that film... Although in in they 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 made every effort to show like the creation process of the maze the amazing music that Queen made and a lot of times films don't do that they don't go to that place but the Queen movie did that and I think they did it pretty well except for maybe a few moments where it was kind of like okay did they really create it this fast whatever I it, I let it I let that go <laughs> but but you the music is so much a part of the film yeah because their music is so wonderful as well. And in the case of of uh, Lords of Chaos and this black metal music, this music is also really important to a lot of people, whether or not they believe in the kind of um, world that they created behind the music, the evilness, the Satanism, or whatever that which the film shows as being a kind of fake thing that Euronymous created, and some people believed. But the music still stood for something, yeah, to them and. It, it was kind of a shame that they didn't really explore that process more. I mean, you saw them recording stuff with Varg especially and like showing him like singing into like a tin can or whatever to get the like worst sounds ever. Yeah. So you get that sense of like, okay, they purposely tried to make it sound like shit, but otherwise they didn't dive any deeper into um, how that music is made or where it comes from or anything like that. And I thought that was a little bit of a shame. Do you do you know what I'm talking about? Or yes, do you yeah, I understand. I mean, but uh, most of the bands have denied the rights to use their music in the movie. Ah, right? uh, okay. So they couldn't use most uh, early black metal, like the actual songs, because the, the bands who are still there today, like Hamper and Dark Thrones and yeah, yeah. all of these bands, they have denied the rights to use their stuff. Right. And I'm not so, surprised because, I mean, this no, is a super either. controversial story that not a lot of people want the Hollywood to come along and tell. Yeah. And I mean, I think there are many people who were there who want to keep it maybe a bit low profile. Yeah. Like, you know, th- there is this um, Foss from Hamper 
he he is you know he is a mur- he was convicted for murder yeah. and, and we see the murder in the movie yeah and very graphically I, very uh, graphically Jesus I mean really necessary yeah. I mean ugh. yeah and I mean he is he is still around he is free now he uh, yeah. you know he served his uh, his well, sentence not, not all of it but most of it okay he was released. And he went on tour with Hamper a couple of years ago for the anniversary of uh, their first studio album. And he is, I mean, he is still there. So I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to be, you know, maybe he doesn't want these this, these things to just come back. And, yeah, and be shown on the big screen that millions and millions of people see all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, f- for him, for example, we see this young man killing a guy in, in the movie but it's never said this is false from Emperor. There is like we, we don't know this guy is in a band. We don't know he is a drummer. Yeah. All we know about him is that he was hanging at the at the uh, Elvetes store and he was watching horror movies. We don't know who he is. Right. Like, if you know the story, you know it's false. Maybe this was intentional because Emperor became, you know, a very well respected artistically. Uh, a well-respected artistic band and Isan, of course, as a yeah. solo performer, an artist, yeah. is to this day still like highly respected. Yes. And 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 the thing that happened with their former drummer doesn't have anything to do with them as I mean, a band. Yeah. I mean, these guys were there. And I think the fact that the we don't know... No, I mean, the movie doesn't show doesn't mention that the other people from the inner circle were in bands. We don't know that. Yeah. Let's say you are someone who doesn't know the Millicent at all. You see the movie. There is no mention in the movie, or I've missed it, that the other guys outside Mayhem and Varg are in different bands, are playing music. Yeah. And I think this is exactly the reason why. Because probably... the these guys who are still around and most of them are still musicians and and bands and they're still, you know, running, they didn't want to be, to be linked with that. And they probably decided, uh, as, as the filmmaker, as filmmakers to not, uh, you know, sling mud in their direction because they are like working musicians and maybe they feared a lawsuit. Maybe the investors of the film or something was like, you know, you're going to have to cut anything out that, um, it's like libel, you know, it's like when you say something about another person, um, which might not be true, you know, and in, at least in America, they can sue you for that. Yeah. This was probably done out of consideration for them. Oh, I, I don't think, I think the guys probably told them, you're not going to mention this and you're not going to, because they had to ask the rights and the bands denied it. And I think in all of these conversations, all of these conversations is probably, probably came up like, yeah. I, you're not gonna use our music, and you're not gonna say our names. You're not yeah. gonna mention that I was there that night at that party. You're not. I, I yeah. think. And I mean, the film took a long, long time to make. There was certainly a lot of trouble making the movie, and oh, yeah. maybe before any investors agreed or any studio came on board and agreed to like, you know, uh, invest in the film, finance it, things had to be in place in terms yeah. of life rights and, yeah, music usage, of course, but also not telling a story which would get the studio later on sued yeah, yeah. by members of the other bands or something. And um, I'm sure there was a whole lot of stuff like that. It would be really cool to 
to learn about that in some kind of director's yeah. commentary. So we're speaking about it completely unknown. Yeah, we, we have no clue. Speaking of the music, so the soundtrack, a lot of the music that was playing in the soundtrack, was it mayhem? Some of it. Some of it was, right? And then some of it was just like written, you think? I think so. I think some of it is like f- fake, I would say. Because when when um, we see Dead performing on stage, this is mayhem. Yeah. This is from the demo. Yeah. And I think they even intercut maybe actual footage from the original show. Because there was all this like sort of VHS footage. Yeah. Which didn't look like the same actors. It looked like maybe it was like the real people. Mm. Unless they just made the footage look so crappy that it was... I mean, I mean we have footage uh, of Dead live in Leipzig. Okay. Um, and this is something I really liked in the movie is that, you know, we have archives, pictures from this time. Especially there is this very famous picture of Dead and Eronymus together. Mm-hmm. And we see how in the movie, we see how these documents you know, were created. Even I mean, what might might have happened. Like there is this picture of yeah, um Aaronimus and Dead having corpse paint. And during the movie we see, you know, they're at a party and someone takes a picture and we see the picture in the movie with the, the actors. It's yeah. not the real picture. Oh uh, yeah. But it's a reference to the the actual document. They recreated it. They recreated these, and there are a lot of pictures and a lot of videos in the movie and where they recreate the Little actual... Easter eggs. Yeah, like uh, the actual doc. And I think that was a very nice, I don't know, um, little details. The other day the, in the last podcast, um, we, we talked about uh, like what was coming in 2019 and if it was going to be the biggest year in metal and stuff. And we talked about this, because this is what everybody's saying. There was all these headlines at the beginning of the year. I think everyone says that every, every year. year. <laughs> but I think we, we decided in the end it was just because there might be a new Tool album. So everybody thinks that's oh, now. Oh, well, yes. Yeah. So anyway, and we did mention the film, and we hadn't seen it yet. And that was when we started talking about going to, to go see it. And mm-hmm. um, I think I made the comment like, you know, because, because Axel won from Berlin Metal TV made the comment like, oh, it looks too clean and the actors look like young actors who need to dress up and look like black metal guys. And like, it looked very Hollywoody, and like the footage is so nice looking and stuff. And I, and, that, and I think I brought up the point, like it would be cool if a lot of it was filmed like with VHS, you know, like, like the music, you know, yeah. shot in a way that's like not cool to watch and stuff and of, but of course that would never get funded you know if you did it that yeah. way but what i was happy about was that they did incorporate that kind of um aesthetic in in the film at least in the first part in the beginning with like the parties and stuff and like this feeling that people were documenting it ha- as it happened and photographing and making vi- video and stuff and like with their yeah. one friend and and then you had this sense that um, they did try to approach that aesthetic. So I was happy to see that in the film, in the fact, yeah. uh, when, it, when when we finally saw it. I re- I, you know, I really like the first part of the movie. I think it's because, as I said, I'm, I, I, I think Dead is a fascinating person. And I really, I really liked the first part with, like, how Mayhem uh, started their, 
evil image and to have this reputation and how dead performed and and you know very provocative ways and we can see him bringing these um pigs heads at shows and throw throw these heads in uh, in the crowd which actually happened mm -hmm. i really liked it because as you said it, it feel to me it feels like how this actually started like this black metal and the innocence of the yeah. beginning i mean yeah and i mean i think the the movie makes you feel that way because it was sort of this innocent beginning and yeah they were like trying to be evil but you also knew that it was like a little bit just you know kids being kids mm -hmm. and and wanting to make themselves out to be more than they are yeah. and and then the second half is basically the monster it's like the yeah. culmination of this and how one kid got it and like took it for real yeah and then like you know like cranked it up a thousand notches and you know unleashed all this in a kind of um you know, brought all that to the surface and unleashed it in a physical way. Yeah. Like, um, there was like a physical manifestation yeah. with the church burnings and the killings and things like that. And um, so, yeah, the first part does feel like the innocent youth and it's like true. what could have been. And then the second half is like where it all went wrong. Yeah. And then they used a lot of, um, in the music department, they used a lot of sort of spacey, um, post-rocky, ambient stuff. And I, I noted Seeger Ross was listed in the end. I don't know which piece was from Seeger Ross or how much of it was, but there was like a credit to Seeger Ross, which made sense for this sort of ambient stuff. Yeah, I was surprised to, to hear so much ambient music. I was did, just surprised. Did you see the documentary until the light until the light takes us? Yeah, which is about the scene. Yeah. Um, this film also used a lot of kind of electro ambient stuff, and uh, as our friend Harris told us on the on the subway afterwards, yeah, that was that was music from Ulver, which makes mm. total sense in this yeah. case. Um, so maybe they kind of took that aesthetic as well from that documentary. Oh yeah, um, and used those things. But it's also a nice contrast to the extremity of the of that type of metal. Yeah. I feel like I've talked it through more than I can because of uh, not really knowing the intentions of the filmmaker and what they meant yeah. and stuff. I mean, I feel like I've said most everything. One thing I noted, and it's a small point, typically in these sort of biographical films, they would go into what happened next. You know, like Varg got 15 years and is now free they didn't do that which kind of leaves you with the feeling that they were just characters in a movie and not real people yeah and maybe that was mm. also like an intention like you know not you know they already are stoking the fires with making a film about him without his permission if they would then you know go on to say yeah he's you know living in france yeah you know i mean this could lead to you know unexpected it's violence so against yeah. him you know you never know you can you you know you have or to... him becoming violent again i mean not that, not that he stopped but yeah um so this yeah. was interesting that they didn't kind of wrap it up and kind of say what happened to the rest of the characters like the photographer the girlfriend um you know maybe because these people didn't want to yeah maybe the other musicians as we said they are you know living their lives and they they have probably families and jobs and 
I guess. <laughs> go to church on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Maybe, maybe, maybe they just discussed. Maybe, maybe they met God. But with Varg, he is now a public figure. You know, he has a YouTube channel and... But he has a family. I mean, he has like seven or eight children. My God. I mean, and no wonder. I mean, the movie shows him making all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think he has uh, these children with only one, one, one woman, his wife. Ah, uh, he's, he's, he's monogamous now. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know this. But uh, yeah, he has, a, he has a, a big family and, you know... It's it, it's not easy to find him, but it's easy to find what happens to him because he's a public figure and he is out there, yeah. and he put himself out there. Yeah. But I think I think maybe for the respect of if of his of his kids, he still want to protect them because they can get bullied or absolutely they can have consequences yeah. because they go to school they, and this movie's out in the theaters and their their classmates see it and they're, okay, that's your dad. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, my daughter's not going to your house anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, yes, I mean you can imagine. Um, one, one more note on, on, on the film, the church burnings yeah. were really magnificent, I thought. I mean, that was, that's a weird <laughs> way to say that. The way they filmed it, the way you yeah. saw them, like, burn down, uh, Fantos, I think it's called, the first church that Varg burns down in the film. Yeah, and then the other church. Yeah, and then, I mean, the, the way they filmed that, I mean, this was, must be the most expensive part of the movie, was recreating these churches and then burning yeah. them down. Because yeah. that's original footage that they created, you know, except for the, they they always did this funny thing with the news reports where they showed the news report from the time yeah. and then replaced the, the, the Norwegian person with like a British voice, <laughs> you know, to like make it like now, like in the movie version. So that this was a cool play. Yeah. And one small note at the, for the very end, it was sad that we didn't see him interact with his sister. So yeah, Euronymous has this sister who he's very somehow sweet with in the beginning of the film and that already establishes for you, there's, a, there's an expression in Hollywood, it's called save the cat. And that's like where in the beginning of the film, somewhere towards the beginning, you show the main character do something heroic or something that makes you... Um, like the character, and they did that. I think with the the sister, yeah, because he's really sweet with her, and they like make jokes, and like you feel like there's like this yeah, little he, bond. Yeah, the like she 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 dyed his hair, and yeah. But then we don't see her again until the last scenes when you know he's doing his voiceover. He's dead. There's like a little yeah. tr um, memorial to him, and then you see her like staring sadly out the window, yeah. and that kind of reminded me like, oh. I mean, this is like, that was a really touching moment because you saw her again, but that's something that they never really explored further than that opening um, montage and then and, and then at the end. Although, the I mean, the feeling was still there. You still felt bad, especially for her. That yeah. I think it's ironic how this expression in Hollywood is uh, saving the cat, while in the movie, dead is killing all the cats. <laughs> yeah, <there's>, they, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. There's no, there's no cat saving in this film, they, that's for sure. Yeah, there are cats... Uh, Okay, what's the takeaway? I mean, I don't want to give a film uh, a one to ten or here anything here, no. but uh, this is our first movie review actually on the on the podcast. So I don't know how we'll really deal with this. We're not going to do like four and a half skulls. <laughs> I don't think it, the movie should have four and a half skulls no. out of five. If I just assume it wasn't five, um, I'm glad I watched it. I'm very happy I went to this uh, the the presentation. It's such a 
weird moment in the middle history and in history in general i think in norway also i think it you just mentioned norway and i mean i think there's a whole lot of cultural things that happen in norway that we don't understand because we're not from there that yeah of course that maybe inform more of you know what happened with the kids and why they you know rebelled the way they did and you know sort of philosophical rebellions and stuff and and maybe the effect of this on the culture like these are things unfortunately we can't yeah we don't deal know. with and in the film they just kind of deal with it like this is my typical suburban Norwegian ha- family home and that's my dad's Volvo and you know it's kind of like these things that are like stereotypical that you think of like you know cookie cutter houses and stuff and like this sort yeah. of perfect and boring nature thing but i think there's also a lot of like cultural subtext uh, in norway like every place you know which yeah. probably helped you know cultivate this and i think they may have dealt with it in the book but it's been uh it's 13 years since i read the book i think for me um like just as a final word i'm also happy that we went and i'm happy that i got to watch it with you being that you have more of a knowledge of this scene than i do um well i mean i'm not i'm not a, a true cold no but black metal person i think you know more about it than i do i mean i read this book and other and i have a couple of emperor cd's but mm-hmm. other other than that i don't know or listen to much more than that but i'm happy i went and saw it because i also think it's a fascinating and bizarre and 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 tragic story yeah. in the metal community in the history of metal and um certainly led to panic and you know stereotyping of you know you know of of metal heads and stuff but um i don't think i need to see the film again and uh, i like all of the parts that we kind of talked about and talking about it kind of made me want to see it again in a way because you yeah. like this connection you feel for the kids and stuff and how they go but i wouldn't watch it again simply because it's way too brutal and and um the way that they handled the murders of the you know of the man in the park and Euronymous and the suicide i i just i can't sit through that again i would like to watch the first part again until mm. until that suicide yeah cool to see it cool to see it on on the big screen and to to be one of the first to yeah. see it you know in the in the german premiere and stuff so yes valerie thank you for your insight <laughs> and yes we're going to have to do this again Of course, whenever. I think we have another film uh that we want to talk about very soon. Oh yeah. And it's very fitting to this topic. It's, it's also black metal. It's the documentary Black Hearts. Yes. Which we wanted to do a review or interview about a year ago, in fact, a year ago this month. Yes. And we didn't quite manage to get around to it, but now I think we'll do it as a podcast review. Why not? Cool. It's also a very interesting movie. I haven't watched it yet, so But this I'll is not a my... movie, this is a documentary. Yeah, it's a documentary this yeah. time. But uh it'll be nice coming off of this to yeah. be able to relate back to this these concepts and and how these people in the documentary take it in the modern time. So stay tuned for that freaks. We're going to come back at you with another cool metal movie review with Black Hearts. Hell yeah. Thanks, Valerie. You're very welcome. See you next time, freaks. Ciao. Freaks out. The Freaks podcast is a production of Stuus Media and is recorded at the Moonbase Studios in Munich, produced by Janine Stangel, Blake Lewis, Kai Metzner, and myself, Randy M. Salo. 
Our theme music is provided by This Is Not An Elephant. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Freaks out. Stick your mind.